0: Hello, and welcome to the Customer Onboarding Podcast brought to you by TaskRay. I'm your host, Jamie Cole, Chief of Staff at TaskRay, and on each episode, I'll sit down with customer onboarding leaders to uncover the leading strategies, playbooks, and secrets to ensuring customer onboarding success within the first 90 to 120 days. I'm so excited for you to join us and listen to these industry leaders as we learn together how to be customer onboarding gurus. John, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you with us. You currently serve as the Sales Enablement Manager at Revenue River. For our listeners who don't know, what is Revenue River and who are your customers?
1: So uh, Revenue River is a digital marketing and sales agency. Um, Our customers really run the gamut across all industries, but the things they have in common are they're they're looking to do a better job of attracting customers online they're looking to do a better job of managing those customers through the full sales process using uh you know crm technology and they're also looking to do a better job of uh attributing their revenue to the right sources in their marketing and so we one of the platforms we use is hubspot and uh you know, we're, we're really focused on uh, delivering on those things for our customers.
0: Well, as a career marketer, I know how important it is <laughs> to attribute <Yeah>. revenue.
1: <laughs> Preaching to the choir here.
0: Everyone wants to know what those marketing dollars have done, so that's important. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm excited to dig into your experience and perspective on onboarding, but to start, I'd love to discuss an article you posted last year highlighting your value equation and how following it can ensure repeatable value acquisition by your customers.
1: Sure. Um, so w- value is, it's one of those equations where the variable is, is really a specific thing to your client. Um, yeah. I mean, you might, you know, in specific verticals or in specific industries, you might see commonalities, but what the client themselves is getting in terms of value tends to differ. It could even be like the same functionality in your tool or whatever you're selling. But the value they get out of that is different depending on how they use it. So uh, uh, when, you're, when you're trying to build out a value equation, um, usually you take on one side, okay, this is what we can provide. And then on the other side of that equation is, okay, what, what is the customer trying to do? So it's really about having a strong communication with your customer and really understanding what, what, is, what are they having a problem with? What is the pain point for them? What are they trying to solve? And so that's where you can that's where the crux of value is is you and even inside the same organization different contexts, different stakeholders might have slightly different uh uh ways that they, they 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 interpret value in terms of how you're you know servicing them so um, it's definitely something that uh needs to be uh, really looked at closely, but also it is it is somewhat specific depending on your client and who you're working towards. And so it's kind of one of those things that uh, uh, it really takes a human to understand and and interpret what's going on and and act on it.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Obviously, every company has different value points, but the point about different teams and even different people maybe on a team having uh, different value points is insightful. But what what would you say are the main components of the value equation?
1: okay um uh, so uh as i mentioned that the you know one side of the equation is, is like you what you're offering so um a lot of times in marketing we 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 figure out okay what are our competitive advantages uh what are the types of pain points or problems we're solving for you you, you tend to list out okay what makes us special and a lot of times that is that is, that is a lot of that's what's contributing to the value on on your product or what you're selling so uh having a really strong understanding of uh, uh you know what 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 makes you better what what you, makes you stand out to your to your current customers is important and you get that information by simply asking your customers and by all, also by looking at the industry and looking what other people are saying about what they're what they're missing what they need so uh that that's that's one side uh the other side I said really comes down to uh the the customer's interpretation, so uh that side of the equation is really made up of um how uh the it, it can it can depend on how a customer might find you how a prospect might find you if you know you're pursuing them it's a cold call and you're kind of like uh telling them that they're missing out on things. This is kind of like the Steve Jobs approach you, you know nobody knows they want an a phone that's only a screen until a phone with only a screen exists, and they see it's better, right? So there, there's like the 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 unknown thing that they they don't know they have, they don't know how good it is, how green it is, really on the other side. Um, so there's there's that, but then there's the the other thing is they might have a really strong understanding of what they're missing. They might know exactly what they need, and then it's just really about listening to what they're telling you, and then when you present your 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 value proposition to them you have to frame it from that point of view so it could be something like um if the client needs a specific functionality in their uh in their in their customer relationship management system they need it to automatically do something that they currently everybody does manually and it's just killing them because it's taking a lot of time well they tell you that, that it's pretty clear what what's important to them they are trying to put time back in the pockets of those people that are wasting their time doing this thing in the CRM. And so it's easy to be like, oh, well, the value is that we're going to make something automatic to do that thing for them. And that's, that's the value. No, the value is that now those people don't have to spend time doing it. It's the time back in their pocket. That's the value, right? And so you can do it with an automation. Maybe you, you, you insource it and they no longer have to do it. There's a lot of different ways you can solve for that but the value there isn't, isn't like the actual functionality. It's the result of that.
0: Sure. That makes a lot of sense. And then once you've helped them or once, okay. So let's say you've actually gotten the customer to their uh, what they've defined as value or you mutually have uh, defined as value between the two of you. How do you, uh, present that to them, and do you celebrate that so that they are recognizing, hey, you've, we've reached value.
1: Yeah, I mean the the communication component, the conversation you have around that is really important uh, beforehand. Um, so, like you said, once you and your customer have agreed what value is, I mean that's that's a conversation that you'd be surprised that just doesn't happen. A lot of companies get you get a new client, you hand them off to the to the onboarding or the customer success team, you say, "Here's my meeting notes from the sale," and the salesperson just hands it off. And now the this the 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 onboarding person doesn't have a conversation about what they you know what is really important to the client in how much time they need it to be. They they'll just look at the notes and they'll say, "Oh, okay, they, they want this functionality, this functionality." So that's what the salesperson said. We have to get built and stood up, and so we're going to go and, and 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 build those things so the client has those. Without really understanding, okay, well, well, what is it about those things that you need to build that is providing value? So it really, there is a conversation that needs to happen there. And then once you have that conversation, you understand what they're looking for. Once you do execute on it, you have a really clear path of what components you need to show them. You know, you might've built something for a, a client. Let's say you're a software developer and you built a piece of software for them and it's really feature rich and it has all these other things and it meets all these specifications. But the person that bought the project was really focused on a, two or three of those things. Those were the really important things. And so when you go and you show, hey, look, we are, you are now onboarded. Look, we are done with this and we're, we're handing it off to your team and check out how we solved item one, two, and three that you mentioned were really important to you. And like, that's how you communicate it. And then when they see that, Oh, okay, great. That that's in there. It's you, you did it. I've, I see that it's working value has been achieved. So it's, it's really about that communication piece. It it, it is a conversation.
0: Have you ever been in a situation where you've done that? Like you, you've really executed well in terms of the pre-com or the sales notes that handoff, getting the information, having this, the conversation about value early on in implementation and onboarding, getting the customers to what they said value was, and they're still not happy or delighted.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, one of those things that, like, I, I always like to go back to is happiness, while great, isn't really, like, the, isn't necessarily the metric you you want to be striving for. Like. I could send a client a fruit basket and that would make them really happy. But if I'm not delivering, they're still going to fire me. So it's, it, 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 it isn't, it's so it is, they can be upset, but as long as they acknowledge that they've gotten the value out of it, it's going to be hard for them to fire you. So, I I mean, it, it really is about uh, making sure that that, is what happened now in my own experience so before i was working at revenue river i was uh, a co-founder for a startup in brazil and we had an hr platform and our onboarding process was tricky to say the least it uh we we had a uh hr platform that handled uh time and attendance you know tracking time clock ins and clock outs and the challenge we had was how do we show our value to the client especially if we have to do like a pilot test and then we can you know real value only comes at scale like how how are we going to really show the client that hey that this onboarding process isn't going to be you know super easy we have to make it work for them And that it's going to take a while before they actually start seeing value, especially if you're talking about value in terms of like savings or revenue. Sometimes that takes a heck of a lot longer to to track and really see it coming through. And um, so that's when we started working on uh, figuring out how can we show them that we are on track to get value. So even if you weren't able to necessarily like deliver on, okay, we've now saved you X amount of money, on your, on, on your, your, your expenses, uh, you can, if you can show them a clear path to how you're going to get there and you've been communicating that from the beginning, the sales guy talked about how the experience is with the company when you start working with us. And so they've sort of planted the seed, they've laid the groundwork. And then the next step is the, the, the onboarding person really lays out a solid plan, has a lot of conversations around, what's important to them, to the, to the client. And then we set up milestones that we're going to be achieving. Maybe it's like, we're going to get this pilot group in, they're going to use it for a month. We're going to collect the data from them. We're going to see how they used it. We're going to get their feedback. We're going to get that those rankings. We're going to present that to you. And then once we've done that, we have the green light to go forward and, and, and expand the, uh, the operation. Well, great. In my definition, that means that once we've done all the way up to the point where we're presenting to the client that information, we've finished onboarding and they've now acknowledged the value and they're ready to expand to the rest of the company. So it, it it can sometimes it can be that formal. Sometimes it's a lot less formal. It's just like okay, we've stood up the product. How do we know that they're receiving value? Well, maybe you have to look at usage analytics and you have to set up. Uh, 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 ways for your customer success team to drive the narrative, to give them advice on how to use the platform, to hold them accountable for things inside the platform. I once had a customer success manager who wanted me to uh, approve some content and it was taking me a long time to do it. And so she was like, look, if you approve this content by next week, this isn't really, it's important for my business. Like if I, If they're writing content and I don't approve it, it hurts me. They did their stuff, but she's more concerned about my success. So she was like, if you approve this content by X, I'll write a personal guest post for your, your website. Awesome. I just got a free blog post because she was so (laughs) fed up at how bad I was at doing my side of the partnership. But you know, she, she drove me towards success. So Uh, um, you know the the onboarding team has to also have that mentality towards driving them the client towards success knowing what is good for them even if they're not being super cooperative
0: I think that is such an interesting point about any motion close sale and because all of the motions have the word customer in them so there's customer success customer onboarding customer support and the the very important implication there is that the customers have to be involved to do it. And sometimes they're reluctantly involved and that makes it a lot harder to follow your journey that you've mapped out. What, how do you think the best way or some of the best ways are to get customers involved who might be those reluctant customers or even customers who have gone dark during the onboarding period?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it could be tough. So like, You know, your sales guy could have been talking to a completely different person, the whole sales process to who you are onboarding this product. with. They may have been sitting and talking to a director of a department and that's the person they sold on the idea. That's the person on the client side that is driving the the change that is uh, adopting your solution. And once they've got the contract signed and they're like, okay, now we need to implement this thing they delegate that to one of the people in their department who might have even been blindsided by it. Like they, they sometimes inside those companies, directors are off doing their whole th- own thing. And then they come in, uh, you, we used to have, uh, I, I worked at a company and we, I had a director that we called the tornado because it was like, every time he came through, it was just every, all our plans were just completely torn up and twisted together. And, uh, it was just something new. It was just destroyed, destruction every time he came through the office. So like, <laughs> There are there are there are people out there that will do that, and you might be the thing that is coming in in a tornado and disrupting somebody else's workflow. So uh, you know you have as an onboarding person, you have to be really cognizant of that. And earlier when I said, oh, you know, the value for that director might be something completely different to the person that's uh, that's implementing it, right? So their value might be, I want the director to see that i'm doing a good job on this implementation that might be their value right and so then it's like okay well if that's what's important to you what what is important to your director what does the director need to see so they think you're doing a good job on this implementation oh well they need to see this report fantastic that'll be one of the first things we crank out is making sure that report is what you want Mm -hmm. right so it's like Having that kind of conversation with whoever is responsible on the executing, treating them like uh, somebody that is equally as important as said director that may have delegated that to them and what is important to them is equally as valuable as, you know, the greater goals for the company and all those things. That's how you, you build these relationships. That's how you get uh, allies in those client companies and, um, you know, just being able to show them empathy is really important to understanding, you know, even acknowledging, like saying, hey, I know the last thing you want to do is learn how to use a brand new product. And I'm the one here that's supposed to like tell you that you need to do this. So let's like take a step back. Let's let's, let's look at the why we're here. Let's look at how we got here. Let's look at what a good future looks like going forward. And we'll then we'll fill in the middle. And, and, and that's yeah, I mean, that's kind of
0: that makes a lot of sense to find out especially for people that are in those key roles that the change management roles, whether officially or unofficially what their intrinsic and extrinsic motivations are as it relates to value. Very good. I'm going to use that one. (laughs) So good. So uh, defining and carrying the torch on what value is, is your platform and I was wondering if you uh, have any advice for other organizations on how to create metrics around value, if there is a way to create a broad, you know, like one metric, or if it's a set of metrics that they can utilize as their true north.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, if we think about it specifically in like terms of onboarding, um, I mean, one of the things I like to look, look at is uh, time to first value. Um, this is a metric that uh, a guy that I really respect always talks about. His name is Lincoln Murphy. Um, he, he has a, a great website um, if, you, if you look him up. And he talks about time to first value as a way to take something that can be kind of like gray and intangible and try to start to put like some hard boundaries on it. Now, when he talks about time to first value, he does make it a really important point that, um, you know, onboarding isn't defined by necessarily how much time it's taking you to, to do it. Like, it's not like you hit 30 days and customers automatically onboard it, right? There are like, you know, getting them engaged in the first 90 days is really important. And like, if you don't actually get a lot of stuff done in that time frame, you can look at the numbers and you can see that onboarding is way less successful if you take too long. But it isn't, you know, the, the, that amount of time, it's not like a stopgap to like, oh, the customer's onboarding after a certain amount of time. But you can use how long it's taking you to get to a value point. So you define a value point, you talk to your customer and you figure out, okay, what is valuable to them? Okay, now that we've defined what the value is, we can say, okay, when do we achieve or perceive That we're going to achieve that value so depending on what type of customer it is maybe you know if you're like a netflix uh you put in your credit card and boom you're watching stranger things value achieved where like my company with the hr it was uh you know we had at least 30 days before we were even value perceived right so um it really can depend on your business and whatnot but you start to measure that And like I said earlier with ours with 30 days to value perceived, that was because most of the times we were doing a pilot test. That was 30 days. we got one month's worth worth of data to look back on. So we could go back and present that to our client and give them uh, uh, some evidence that the platform is working and that people are happy with it. Um, So that was, you know, uh, uh, a metric that we were looking at. Like if it was taking longer to uh, get to that first, uh, value, uh, perceived step, if it was taking 45 days, 60 days, then that was a big red flag for us. And there were, there, there were clients that we actually just pulled out on the agreement just because they like, we were just getting strung along. They had paid for this pilot and now they were just not moving forward with the expansion. And so we actually were, we basically told them, Hey, you know, we, we are, uh, we're moving on with our priorities here. And, um, you know, if you guys really want to adopt us and expand, like you know, basically onboarding kicked it back to sales and that, at that point, mm-hmm. but they did it because, you know, we, we knew how long it should be taking and it was taking too long. So it was, it, it, it's a nice way to like not get your onboarding team bogged down with like hundreds of clients that are backlogged and onboarding and then also holding sales accountable to, 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 for the longevity of a sale.
0: I love that we actually wrote a paper last year a white paper with them um, exactly about how you can incentivize your sales team and your onboarding team in different ways to make sure that onboarding and longer term customer success has been achieved. And we talked a little bit about um, that transition back to sales if onboarding isn't happening. Uh, so. I love this idea is fascinating to me because I we see this a lot where customers get into the onboarding process and then it, it kind of goes stagnant. And you're talking about this pilot model that you guys had when you would, when someone was not progressing as quickly as you knew they should be, And that the red flags were going off. What did, how did you communicate to the customer? Hey, you know, we're going to put you back into the sales process or did you not
1: Um, no, we did. Uh, I mean, I, I think we probably could have done better, but we we would try to to salvage. We try to escalate things. Sometimes it was just, um, you know, in the best, despite our best efforts, whoever we were like coordinating with to to run the pilot, just was either it was a bad time for them. Sometimes uh, there was one time where it was just like they had an event and they needed to be full on ready to do this event, and that was like going to take them twenty days and you know, we set up the pilot and it wasn't properly communicated that they had this other thing going on. And then it was just kind of like a ghost town and we weren't getting responses. And then after the event happened, boom, everything went really fast. But it was like, uh, you know, it it, it was discovering that that was the issue and then being able to, you know, pulled off and kind of reset and everything. Um, It's the kind of thing where it is hard to identify when. Do you actually kick this back to sales? And usually the, the the best thing for us when we would decide to do that was we we had a uh, we built a pretty solid plan at the beginning. Sometimes, like I mentioned, like that example, things could get delayed and we just push the whole plan back and we kind of reset. But if we were going through all the steps of the plan and we were engaging with the client and we were doing all the things that we put out in our onboarding process, which involved, like I said, onboarding a group of uh, smaller group of people, getting them into the platform, getting them using, collecting data and presenting that data to uh, uh, the, the, you know, the stakeholders. Um, if we went through each of those steps and they went off pretty well, but then after we do that presentation, we're not able to get it to move forward then there was a cutoff. I can't remember. I think it was like something like 15 days um, with like a couple days with that. that They would just, they would kick it back. And and usually once we said, Hey, we're kicking this back to sales. That was like a a thing that was like a catalyst for some clients where they would say, Oh no, no, no need. We're, we're, you guys are good. We're just, we're doing this on the internal side. And we think that we're going to start official rollout an x number of months sometimes it's just their their own bureaucracy slowing them down and uh you know the you you you, i mean we were a startup so we were really fast-paced and and sometimes it was just hard for us to recognize that you know a week between a communication for them is wasn't that big a deal but for us that felt like an eternity so (laughs) like it, it 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 you know it was there was definitely some learning that went on there, but um, yeah, yeah, communication's always, yeah, I gotta come back to that. It's, it's really important to, to set expectations and really understand and seek to understand uh, what what your client is saying and, and keeping those channels open.
0: Hey listeners, we'll get back to the show in a minute, but first I wanted to ask you a question. Is your handoff process between sales and customer success repeatable, scalable, and optimized around your customer outcome? Could your process use some work? Check out our webinar, Mastering the Post-Sale Handoff, available on our website at taskray.com. Let's get back to the show. That is a really good point because as a startup or even a smaller company, time is money. And for the bigger organizations, they have more money. (laughs) And so they can take more time. And it is good to, to get the pulse of how your customers communicate. We had a we hosted a customer onboarding workshop earlier in March when we could all still congregate in person. And one of the topics that we had we, that we talked about was um, putting financial incentives, well, so carrots and sticks in the onboarding process. And I was wondering what your opinion is on that. So basically, a few of the companies that attended this workshop were explaining to us that. If people were coming in under time, they received something of value to them from the company in terms of onboarding. And if they were going over time or knew that they had to take a pause or something like what you were explaining with that event or some other internal project that they might have to, to do first, they could buy more time from the company. Basically, they could say, hey, we want to pause this for a month and it, it would, the company would charge them X because there was some work involved in going back and restarting the project. And they could do that up to three times during their onboarding process before they got kicked back into the sales process or basically were fired as a customer. And I'm wondering if you have any experience with that or what your opinion is on using the financial carrot and stick model.
1: No, that's interesting. Um, but going back to the, the, the startup, um, that I was work that I, that I founded, um, the, uh, one of the things that we, we discovered early on was we needed to charge our clients for onboarding. Uh, I mentioned that we were doing a pilot. Well, I mean, we needed to charge for that. So, uh, and, and we, we thought originally like, oh, we would, you know, we were gonna go pure SaaS model. we were just gonna do its monthly subscription, cancel any time. And as we got pushed more into the enterprise space, we realized that with them, it's better to get in uh, like an annual contract, build in uh, some some fees up front for onboarding, mainly not necessarily because we needed to like have that as a revenue stream. In fact, we normally would take any onboarding fee and we'd discount that over the following months. We'd say, okay, so we cost this much per month, but we have this onboarding fee here. So what we'll do is we'll take this value and we'll, we'll just split it up over the next 12 months. So you sign a 12 month contract and you're basically getting onboarding for free because we're discounting your, your, your monthly rate over the next 12 months. So we would do that kind of stuff, but making the pay for the onboarding, just put that like that level of accountability in there. Like, Oh, we paid for this. We don't want to have buyers remorse. So we better do our side. We'll do our part where when we weren't charging, we were chasing, we were chasing customers all the time. So would it, it definitely helped us by, creating that kind of incentive for the client. We also, uh, when we built our commission model for our sales team and for our onboarding um, team, we, we, we really thought about how can we get these guys to work together to increase the customer lifetime value. I mean, that was really the, the big, the the Holy grail for how we were going to be a profitable company was to, keep cut clients in for a long time. And you know, one year for us was like the minimum for what we needed for for longevity. So it really we really needed to have uh, uh, our clients stay with us over the long period of the long term and in order for us to to grow as a, a business. And what we did was uh with the uh with the sales team, it was fairly traditional sale uh, commission model with a uh with a retention bonus and um, a a a payout over the 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 twelve months that they were on, so it really uh it did incentivize getting them onto uh a contract for twelve months or keep or, or keeping them around um, for the uh onboarding team, what we did was we we started measuring uh, uh you know closed one sale to uh, uh, onboarding completed. So we created that that value point mm-hmm. to know whether or not we completed onboarding. So that in our case, it was the pilot program to uh, expansion. And basically what we did was we created a model where we we took a piece of the, the sales price. We built, we, we basically gave that back to the onboarding team. In the form uh, of commission, if they if the client stayed on for the duration of the the onboarding process and we completed the onboarding and we made the transition to uh, uh, um, them becoming a expansion client. So when that happened, there was a there was a kickback to the onboarding team, so they had incentives to really try and get companies through the onboarding process, get them through it successfully. Because uh, the, that that came back to them as a bonus at the end of the year, and if the in that time they had finished onboarding, but then the client churned out, it wouldn't be uh, they wouldn't get the the commission. So we it, it it really was focused on keeping them in, keeping them uh, happy, and using the product. And so yeah, I mean, it wasn't the main driver of behavior for the customer onboarding team. But it was a nice it was a nice bonus and it was something that I think was in the back of their head. Um and it, i it, I think it contributed at least in part to uh, uh the success of our t- onboarding team. That's overall. Great.
0: Yeah, those incentives are really important, especially if you think of what behavior it's driving in the long term. And speaking so speaking of long term, customers mature as they are your client. Uh you know they might start off as a startup and then they go through a period of really strong growth and now now they're a medium-sized company or their use case is more complex how do you modify how do you work with them as they mature to understand what their value points are as specifically as that relates to onboarding because you know we've taught we talk a lot about you might have to re onboard a customer as you as they mature and or your product or service matures. I'm yeah. wondering what your perspective is on that.
1: Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that really starts to get into uh, cross selling and upselling. Um, actually, do that quite a bit at uh, Revenue River at our agency. Um, we are constantly um, reevaluating uh, the client goals, putting together new proposals on how to achieve those goals, and then. More or less, re uh, you know, setting up a new project and, and almost re onboarding the client to um, to get them to achieve those goals. Um, in our case, though, we don't really look at that as like necessarily onboarding, like onboarding a new client versus um, you know keeping a an existing client happy and staying on top of their goals. Uh, That it's in our case at the agency, it is the same people doing it for the most part. You have your team that's receiving you as a, as a client, and then we're onboarding you the first time, and then as we continue to grow, we're 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 sticking with you um, as a team. So we we typically see that growth. We measure that growth. In fact, we're we're trying to get you to get that growth. We we want you to grow, right? That's that's the that's one of the main things that you know we we have. Like our proposals are called, uh, you know. Growth-driven design contracts. Like we're we're building things around the idea of growth, and that's and revenue river. That's the idea. Is we want revenue to start flowing into your company like a river. It's it's pretty, quite literal interpretation of what our we're trying to do for you. Um, so when we're doing that expansion stuff, it does it does uh, feel like especially if we're talking about like adding a new tool or new a new piece of technology that has some training around it. That that really is closer to a more traditional uh onboarding but yeah i, I think we are we we it's the same thing just by a different name that we're calling it inside the agency but we're really just about it, it's a it's a it's a function of customer success and yeah. so you can't be afraid to be like hey this client needs new training there was there's been times where we had a new new staff come in they hired somebody new they maybe they hired a new uh, uh you know in our case for revenue river and my role and my maybe they hired an uh uh uh, somebody do sales dev development or, or business development. And that was a position that didn't exist before. And now they they have somebody in this role. And I more or less have to onboard that person into that type of a role inside of the, you know, the sales ecosystem, inside of the, the, the CRM platform. And I've done things where I've created training sessions and built new resources out for them and, and done several things just to get them to be more successful in their role. Because I know if they are doing well in their role, the numbers start to reflect that. And then, you know, when the attribution model kicks in, you'll see, oh, okay, this is a lead coming from this marketing campaign. This BDR person did a really good job of doing a pre-qualification and sending it to the right salesperson quickly. So it, that lead did just sit there stagnating and then go cold on us. And now the salesperson closed the sale. Hey, look at that flow. We have that, we can see exactly the whole process. We have a closed loop attribution built in here. And now this is all great. So it was really important that I onboarded that that BDR person into the process well, because otherwise that component would have st- still been broken and we wouldn't have seen any kind of marginal in- improvement. So um, it is a, you know, cross for any kind of upsell or cross sell inside your company. Yeah. Be expected to do uh, another round of onboarding.
0: Yeah. Sure. Man, I love to hear that whole, that's so exciting. As, that is the promise of digital marketing. And it is hard to actually hit that because there are a lot of pieces, but that is a beautiful sight to behold when it's actually all working and you can see it. Um, so I have one final question for you and I've started asking all my guests this. What is the best onboarding experience you've personally gone through or have seen outside of Revenue River or any company that you were working for at the time and what made it so special?
1: That's a tough question. I, I, I think I already mentioned, there, for me, there's like two kind of, there's two, there's two levels of onboarding here and there's, there's like tons of different types of experiences, but like, uh, you know, on one level you have a very like hands off, nobody touch me kind of onboarding, like, <laughs> let me do it on my own and companies yeah. that can pull that off and really just make seamless onboarding, experiences where you don't even realize you went through it as a client. The, that, I think that's, that's the, that's the kind of the Holy grail of SaaS companies. And I mentioned Netflix before, what a great onboarding process. You go to their site, you put in a, you, your, your info and you're immediately have access to, you know, thousands of hours of great content to watch. And it's, it's very simple. It's very easy to understand. And it, and that's part of the reason why they grew so quickly is it just all of a sudden they were so much better at delivering content to you than any other company out there. I mean, Blockbuster, you had to drive to a store to go get a DVD. What a pain in the A. So, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, that's, that's how setting up onboarding can really just like, it can be a differential in your company if you're, if you're you're disrupting an industry so you know I definitely like Netflix another one that I will say now I haven't experienced this myself, but I have read about it and uh you know my mom is a uh she's a, she loves b m w she's always bought b m w cars that's been her that's been her thing and my grandmother even had her b m w two thousand two I don't know they just love those cars and b m w has a really great onboarding process um and I think I mean, it's just, you're buying this really expensive car. You're going into the dealership. They're treating you really well. You're getting all these cool little peripherals. Everything's so luxurious and clean. The car is impeccable. You get in and you just like, it's just like emotions and stuff. And it's just a great experience. And they even have like BMW. If you pay enough money, you can go and pick up your car at the factory in Germany, rip that thing around a track and then fly back to the U.S. where they'll deliver the car to you. So like it's, uh, you know, they have built some really cool kind of onboarding experiences that you can even like make a vacation out of, right? And so I'd say that's kind of the other end of the spectrum from like the Netflix where it's like this really high touch involved kind of onboarding that I also think is great. Um, The the thing that both of those have in common though, is that the value is so overwhelmingly clear and it's just so easy to see it. I mean, BMW, even if you're doing like going to Germany to get the car, you know, you're buying the the value is perceived way before you're doing that. You're already excited about that vacation. You're already excited about going to get, pick up that car. So like, it's, uh, you know, it's really quick to perceive that value. And so I think that is probably what I like in a good onboarding uh, processes is like, I can just see the value, either I'm, a, I'm achieving it or I know I'm going to achieve it but that, I, I, that happens quickly from when I made my purchase. There's no time for buyer's remorse. I'm already excited about the purchase.
0: Yep, awesome. Well, John, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. This was a great conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have questions, comments, or wanna share your top learning from today's episode, tweet us, at TaskRate or message us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes and let us know your favorite part. Until next time, you've been listening to the Customer Onboarding Podcast, brought to you by TaskRay, the customer onboarding success company.